Do you know one of the most embarrassing things is to ask for everybody to turn off their cell phones regularly, then in the next meeting you're the guy that leaves yours on? So I'm innocent tonight. <laughs> so yeah, we say welcome. I know uh, time is one of the most precious things that we have, and you've given of your time to come tonight. So we pray it will be a blessing and encouragement, and uh, there will be wisdom, and uh, yeah, I hope that yeah, God will meet with us in a very special way. So let's pray and commit the evening to the Lord, shall we? Lord Jesus, we love you with all of our hearts. We thank you so much uh, for the cross. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Thank you for the beauty of your grace. Lord, we thank you so much for your church. It's such an awesome thing that you have uh, designed the church to share with you and all that you have to deposit on the earth, all of your wisdom now made known to the principalities and powers through the church. We are so in awe and grateful that you would not only save us, but work through us. We pray that your wisdom and your spirit tonight will be with us. And we pray that we will be inspired and we will be informed. And Lord, we'll be um, protected and warned and we'll be instructed and that your spirit will come and be with us. Thank you, Lord. We love you, and we open our hearts to you and to each other tonight. Amen. Amen. What a privilege it is to be a part of the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, there was some years when I didn't feel that way when I was young, and I was angry at the church and aware of its weaknesses, and um, I would regularly go home from wherever, what part of the world I was in, and my dad would invite me to speak, and then afterwards he would go through. He would second th give second thoughts to whether he should have invited me. I remember one time he said, you know, son, I believe in the everlasting gospel, but I don't want you to preach it all at once. <laughs> <laughs> and I usually had an edge, you know, of something that I thought was wrong with the church. And that came to a head for me uh, one time when I was speaking in a training program in Switzerland, uh, a YWAM program. And I was having a quiet time, and I was reading through the book of Ephesians. And I came to that passage that I prayed out where it says that the manifold wisdom, all the, the varied aspects of God's great wisdom is now made known through the church. And I, for the, I, I guess for the first time as a young man, I just thought, wow, I, I don't think I actually believe that because I know Christians. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't seem consistent with what I've seen that all of the greatness and goodness of God is actually, Paul says, put on display before the powers through the church. And um, as I prayed, I said, Lord, how is it that your infinite goodness is made known through finite fallen people? I don't get that. And uh, I thought about my dad's churches that he pastored and he planted with some of the people. And uh, the Lord spoke to me so clearly and he said, I'll never forget these words. He said, son, one of the greatest things you'll ever learn about me is that I make myself known through broken, weak people. And something began to open up to me of the grace of God, that God loves to show himself off by the very fact that he loves and forgives and uses us who are still on the journey. And you know, things began to change for me that night. I started loving the church of Jesus Christ. I started seeing it through different eyes.
It's not perfect, but we're His. And He loves us. And He delights in showing Himself off, even in our weakness. Yeah, the Lord says to us in Ephesians that He has ascended into heaven, and in His ascension He gave gifts to us in the church. Can we say that He deposited a little bit of Himself in different gifts that He's put into the church? Um, The pastor Jesus has chosen to put some of that shepherding, pastoring gift and distribute it in the church. And the evangelist Jesus has distributed that heart for the lost into people through us, you and I, in the church. Jesus, the great pioneer and and the one of faith who has gone before, the apostle and high priest of the faith, has given those gifts to the church. So what we see in those five equipping gifts of the pastor the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, the apostle, are various aspects of who Jesus is. I'm not sure if I know for sure this is true, but I heard one man say all of the various spiritual gifts that function the church can be traced back to those five gifts, which are gifts to build and equip and unify and heal and love the church and then show himself off through the church to people who don't know him. So um, we want to talk particularly about two of those gifts tonight, but I just want to say that in context, they're two of the gifts, and there's the other three that are really important, and then there's the whole church. And Jesus loves to show himself off through the whole church. He says that, doesn't he, that he's put, actually put those gifts to equip, to mend what is broken, to heal, to build up, and to unify. So we want to talk about two of those gifts and how they can function to actually serve and build up local churches. How does that work? So uh, my brother Joe, and I'm going to just say a little bit more about Joe, is going to share with us to begin with. He'll take, say, 15, 20 minutes, and I'll take 15 minutes to share. And then uh, feel free if you have questions as we go, if you want to ask questions. But we'll throw it open then, and we'll spend the last hour, hour and a half just interacting with you guys. Maybe Joe and I will just stand up here together and, uh, yeah, we'll just see how the Lord leads us as we interact around that topic. Uh, Joe has been a friend for many, many years. Uh, Joe Ewan and his wife, Yvonne, are from Scotland, and they are pastors of a small network of churches, of five churches. If you plant a church in northern Scotland, it's like planting a church in a very hard ground. But something really amazing is starting to happen now in Scotland. There's a great openness and a hunger for the gospel. Joan Yvonne have been telling me about how people have been coming to Jesus and something stirring in the spirit. So they have a pastor's heart. They have a pioneering heart to plant churches. And Joe and Yvonne have complimentary gifts. Yvonne, tonight, can you kind of wave your hand? Yvonne has a teaching gift, uh, both uh, in her vocation, but also in her gifting. And Joe has a prophetic gift. Uh, and one of the things I love about Joe is uh, he's very down to earth. He was a fisherman for many years in the North Sea, he had his own boat. Um, but he's also a man who loves people. If spiritual gifts are not motivated by love, then what use are they? They're just so much noise, aren't they, and sound. And I've pastored churches and worked with communities in several different places where Joe and I've had the privilege of working together. And you know one of the things that I've loved 
is that Joe knows how to come in and work with local people, pastors, elders, and help build what God's doing. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of somebody coming into your church and not knowing how to align themselves with what God's saying to you. And then they cut across, and then you have to clean up everything afterwards. So um, Joe's a man who knows how to hear the Holy Spirit, but he also knows how to, to work with people to build the church in a spirit that you just say, wow, that's like so helpful. It's establishing something that you have on your heart and yet moving you forward too. I love the prophetic gift because it makes people a little uncomfortable. You ever had that experience where you visit and think, wow, this is like pushing my boundaries here a little bit. But to be able to receive the impact of Jesus through that gift without manipulation is a beautiful thing. And that's some of the things I just deeply appreciate about Joe and Yvonne. So Joe, I'm just uh, really glad that we can share together. Joe's teaching this week in our training program here called CPX, Preparing Church Planners. And uh, yeah, he's stirring and he and Vaughn are kind of pushing us a little bit to say, okay, we want Holy Spirit. And it's been a good week so far. So, Joe, please come and share with us. Share what's on your heart with us tonight. Well, it's great to be here. It's always great to be with Floyd. I'm just glad to see he's grown a bit since the last time I saw him. Needs to get a little bit taller. Um, I'd just also like to introduce a most amazing lady called my daughter sitting there. Come on, a little bit more of a wave than that. That's my daughter, Sarah. She's just flown in from Australia to see her dad. He hasn't seen her for a year and a half, and uh, she's an amazing woman of God, and uh, we're just so blessed uh, to have her here with us. So we're enjoying some time like that. And... uh, as Floyd said, I used to be a commercial fisherman, so I literally did lay down my nets to follow Jesus, and, um, and, and I'm very thankful for that. You know, there's two scriptures I'm thankful for and, and, in that sense. That's Luke 5, lay down your nets and follow me. And the other one, I think it's in Acts 8, where it says that he used ignorant fishermen. So I'm always thankful for that one, you know. Um, But one of the things that I've appreciated in the years that uh, um, I've been, you know, Floyd and I have walked together, um, it's always the challenge of the apostolic and the prophetic. It's an important part of ministry that sometimes we don't hear much about. um, And the role that we usually hear about is maybe the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist, but mainly the pastor. And absolutely nothing wrong with, wrong with that. They call me pastor at home. And, um, but the other two gifts, you know, they're, they're kind of these, you know, they're just maybe a little on the edge. And these prophets, when you get around them, or some of them, uh, it can be a little bit uh, dangerous. And, uh, but the prophetic's never meant to be dangerous, it's meant to be provoking. It's meant to get us into things, help us to see things from a different perspective. But sometimes in the prophetic ministry, what we've seen through the years is that there's this thing that I call, anyway, it's rejected prophet syndrome. And this is what it looks like. It's it's prophetic people or prophets, and what they do is 
They come in and they'll give you a prophetic word and then rather than leave it like they should, they start to provoke you with it in a way that they're not called to provoke you with it. Because what you're called to do is give the word and then it's up to the person if they're going to receive it and then move out on it. Um, I, I was saying to to Floyd the other day that, that he came, maybe was it two or three years ago he came, he shared a whole lot of stuff with us and it's only now that we're beginning to see the fruit of that stuff. We've seen about uh, between 40 and, and, and 60 young people saved in, since August last year. We've, every week now, you know, we do not rest until we see at least one person come to the Lord. Now, I've been, we've been in the ministry for 30 years, and I'm saying to the church, there's a unique thing happening, and we've never seen this before in our little town, and we've got to hold on to it. In fact, we've got to keep it flowing. And I keep saying to him, our prayer is, let the trickle become a flood. We want to see a flow of what God is doing. But the more we try to hold on to it in the sense that this is mine, this is mine. And you've got to do what I tell you. You've got to do my word. And, and you know, it's, it doesn't work for the church. That's not, what the, Lord, that's not the, the purpose of that ministry. And if you look in, in your Bible, you know, um, I like to call them um, types of New Testament prophets um, in Ezra and, and Nehemiah. In Ezra chapter 5, it says, Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews in the name of the God of Israel who was over, over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And listen, the prophets of God were with them helping them. What happens is when people suffer from rejected prophet syndrome, what they tend to do is they withdraw from the church, they build their ministry somewhere. I'm not saying they all do this, but sometimes we've seen that. They build their ministry, which is separate from the church, and then they start to speak to the church from a distance. And inevitably, it becomes judgmental and less than encouraging. But another word for helping there in the Hebrew is encouragement. Because the basis of all prophecy is encouragement. And that's what God wants us to be, to be doing together. And it's working together, you know, an apostolic and prophetic ministry to bring that encouragement. And then in Ezra chapter 6, verse 14, it says there, that, so the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built, and they finished it. And that's what God wants to see. That's why prophetic ministry is such an important part of the local church. I'm a local church man. I made a decision many years ago that I would go to no conference that wasn't local church based. Because that's all I'm interested in is the local church. She's tried to kill me. She's called me every name under the sun. She's tried to throw me out. She's rejected me. She's, do she's done everything to me that she's done to you. But I'm more in love with her today than I've ever been before. Because I know God's plan and purpose. And he's got no plan B. 
All he has is his church. And we, and, and, you know, we, we tire of people coming and going and coming and going. But in the end of the day, there's the church and there's nothing else. Jesus is not coming back for a ministry. He's coming back for the church. And the church local, the world can't live without us. They need us all the time. And so, therefore, all the ministries are, 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 are important for the growing of the church. And sometimes a pastor is frightened to let a prophetic ministry to come in because it can be upsetting. And sometimes, you know, I, I remember going to this mega church in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it's now a church of oh, five, 6,000 people in the one campus and another three campuses with about 1,000 each in them. And I remember when I went in there um, about 10, Oh, 20 years ago, they, I was invited to do a, a prophetic seminar. And um, so they got a bit worried. I, I knew the, the senior pastor, um, but I knew a few of his elders, and it was them that had invited me in. So when I got to this meeting of 110, 20 people, um, there, there was, this church had 25 elders, and there was 15 of them in this meeting just to check that everything was going to be okay. And they said to me, what are you going to call this seminar? And the Lord gave me a word of wisdom at that time. And I said, well, call the seminar Taking the Fear Out of the Prophetic. Because they had, they, had, they had had a bad prophetic experience. Someone had come in and he started to rail at the people, a so-called prophet. And people got hurt and got frightened. And sometimes what I do, I have to go in and de-prophesy people. I have to go in and take words out of them that they've received, and they're frightened to let them go because they think they're prophetic. But all that they've done is hurt and caused people to be broken. And that's not the heart of God in these days. God wants us to be encouragers. We want to encourage local leaders. We want to encourage people into their ministries. I mean, we've got a bunch of students here that have spent a lot of money and, to, and given sacrificially to come into, this, um, into all nations. And the last thing they need to be is browbeaten. They need to be encouraged to go into Africa. They need to be released to go in and see what it is that God's got for them um, in, in these days. And, you know... One of my, my favorite guys um, is, is Barnabas. We all know Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He was a prophet. There were prophets and teachers at the church in Antioch, Barnabas. So I just take it that when he says prophets and teachers, the first one he even mentioned would probably be a prophet. And that was Barnabas. He was the son of encouragement. Now, who was it that got hold of the murderous soul of Tarsus? and turned that murderous heart into a heart of encouragement for the church. It was Barnabas. It was Barnabas that called him it was, and, and, and took him under his wing. It was Barnabas that brought him to the place where he became this great apostle. Barnabas was one that encouraged two of the writers in the New Testament. He brought, them, he brought John Mark from a place of discouragement when Paul wouldn't even have anything to do with him. And, you know, and so Barnabas goes off with John Mark. And what do you think he was doing? He said, no, John Mark, you shouldn't have made that mistake. You shouldn't have upset Paul like that. No, he was encouraging them. And I can imagine him saying something like this. Barnabas, 
John Mark, I even think there's a book inside you. I think there's a book inside you. I think there's something that you could write that generations will begin to read. And sure enough. And then a little while later, Paul said, Hey, by the way, bring John Mark to me. I wonder why. Because he knew the same way as Paul had encouraged him that he would have encouraged John Mark as well. And John Mark would have been in a good place then to be used in the ministry. We all need encouragement. We all know that the church has not been this and it's not been that and it's not been the next thing. But hey, listen, it's time to start to speak about the church and what God's called her to be and what God wants her to be and how God wants her to be. And it's time for the church's prophetic voice. Like, like uh, Floyd said, there's five ministries, but there's the church and what God's called her to be and the voice that God has given her in the, in the nations today. And we're, we're excited about that. I'm very excited about it and what God uh, wants to do in these days. It says um, in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took John uh, with them, John, Mar uh, John whose surname was Mark. Now, in the church at Antioch, they were returning to Antioch, in the church at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had, become, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Spirit said, I've heard prof prophets say, and you couldn't stand against their word. It was just like, I have said it, that's what's happening, and there's no negotiation. There's no, there's no, what's the Holy Spirit saying in the midst of this? We've got to always allow the Holy Spirit His place, no matter what it is that we're called to do. We know that the church, according to Ephesians, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and we want to see that to be a strong foundation in these days. There's been apostolic, prophetic men come into this nation through generations before that have built something up, and now they've left it to you guys, you people to do. And, and we're going to see that foundations cleaned off and see the church built like never before, because the greatest days of the church has yet to come. Haggai said the latter glory of this church, will be, of this house, will be greater than the former glory. The best days have yet to come. The most exciting days are just upon us. We're just ready to see God do something that's far greater. The darker it gets, the lighter it gets for us. And we're in a great position. We're on the winning side. It's like what uh, I, I saw in a musical one time by this guy Carmen. And, and uh, it's this conversation between the devil and God. And God turns around, he's around and says, Shut up, I wrote the book. He wrote the book. He knows the answer. He knows the beginning from the end. And he knows what he wants to do in these days. Set apart before apostolic was used with regards to the Apostle Paul. Um, it was set apart for me, uh, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I have called them. And so when they had fasted and, fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. 
And it's a time for us, I believe, what God is saying to the church. It's time to set apart. It's time to be set apart. It's time, you know, if you're in the older um, bracket, um, like Floyd McClung, if you're not age group, no, I'm sorry, I'm the only, well, no, you know what I mean. If we're in that older bracket, you know, um, we need to be ready to be set apart for something fresh and something new. It's time for us to be looking for the, the, the Timothys to rise up. It's time for us to be looking for that new generation. I always say to, to leaders everywhere, if you haven't got hold of what it says in the first seven verses of Psalm 78, then you don't understand church at all. In that psalm, there's five generations mentioned. And what we're called is not to our own ministry. We're preparing for a new generation to come. We just took over an old Presbyterian church back in Scotland. It was built in 1843. And uh, we just took over. Quite miraculously, God has given us this sanctuary. And uh, I, I negotiated a lease with our local council for 175 years. And people kept saying to me, why do you want to have 175 years? You're not going to live that long. I said, this building's not about me. It's about the generations to come. As soon as we got it, I took a 24-year-old man. I took a man and I stood him on the platform. And then, and, 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 and then I took him upstairs in the building and we looked at the platform. I said, can you see yourself preaching the gospel from this platform? Can you hear yourself saying, the lady up in the corner there with the arthritis in your knees, you're healed now in Jesus' name. Can you see it? Because if we don't give it away to a new generation, we've lost. It's a waste of time. We may as well go and sit on the beach. Go fishing. Go look at a lion or something. You know, but God's called us for such a time as this. And I believe in the midst of it, He's raising up the prophetic and apostolic anointings in a day like this so that God can do something fresh and the church can have that breadth of ministry so that she'll become strong and she'll become that force to be reckoned with within the nations of the world. Amen? Takes all kinds, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, Jesus, the pastor, loves people. Loves to shepherd and care for people and heal them and build them up and love on them and gather them, protect them. Uh, Jesus, the evangelist, loves to see people who don't know him come into the kingdom and find the healing and the life that there is. Uh, yeah, Jesus, the teacher, loves truth. And he wants to make sure that people are not led into falsehood, into false gospels, and deceived by false teachers and false prophets. Uh, the gift of the prophet and the apostle are very complementary in that the apostle is always living out in the future and thinking about what is not yet there that God wants to do. So the future gift, the future kind of uh, dimension of an apostolic gift is around faith, it's around vision. It's around what has not yet been done. And when that gift is mature, it's not about actually creating something new. It's not about the adventure of faith and trusting God for something. But it's about those who have not yet heard the gospel. The true mature expression of the apostolic gift is about the gospel advancing 
to the least and to the lost, to those who have no choice and who have no hope. That's the purpose of the apostolic gift. Now, a gift that is not mature gets excited about itself. A gift that is not mature, well, and gifts that are not mature need a chance to grow into maturity. But that gift of the apostolic is about faith and about adventure and about pioneering. And it can be, um, it can be aimed in many directions. Uh, as a young pioneer visionary, I would come home to Sally and I overwhelmed her with a new vision every few days. Uh, Sally walked with both feet on the ground. I walked about, I don't know, half a meter off the ground, just floating around, excited about seeing things that were not in existence and hoping for them and believing for them. I could walk down the street and get three ideas about starting something new. I didn't understand the gift that God had put in me. I didn't understand the purpose of the gift. It was just fun to me to dream. Sally and I actually had to come to kind of a, a negotiated peace settlement about how to operate that because uh, Sally's just the opposite of me. She's very practical. She's very principled. She's very concrete. And, um, yeah, I'd come home, and she would start asking questions, really, really, really unspiritual questions. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, who's going to do it? Isn't that an unspiritual question? And where are you going to get the money? And what about the last ten visions that you've launched that nobody's yet fulfilled? And so questions like that. So I would find sharing with my wife very deflating because I was the man of God with great vision. And she was the great woman of God with great questions, right? So we worked out a compromise. I, said, I actually said to Sally one day after we'd been married a few years, I said, you know, I figured it out. If I come home with a new idea and it's the first time you've heard it, just smile at me like I'm the kind of greatest thing that ever happened on the earth. Just smile, just, but don't ask any questions. And I said, I can, I can tell you that about 90% of the dreams and visions I get, you'll never hear about them again. Because <laughs> I'd figured out I could just dream, but because I had a gift didn't mean that how I used the gift was of God. Because the gift is there, but you have to mature and grow into the purpose of the gift and the gift working in unity with other gifts and other people in the body of Christ. So I said to Sally, I said, Sweetheart, if I come back a second time with the same vision, please don't ask any questions. Just start praying. But it might probably go away. So, but if I come back a third time, <laughs> that means I've had time to actually start praying it through. And now something's growing in my spirit that I sense is of God. And then please have a go at it. <laughs> And then I figured out if I could get my dream or vision past Sally, it probably was God. <laughs> the prophetic gift brings a sense of the immediacy of the presence of God. There's nothing like God speaking and reading your mail and speaking encouragement and life and stirring that sense of a spontaneous experience of God right now. And you marry that with... And specifically, we're speaking of the apostolic gift of looking into the future and you bring that vertical sense of God speaking, God bringing encouragement. Yes, God bringing correction, but out of a spirit of love and God bringing confirmation. That's a beautiful thing. So the purpose of that gift is to draw the sense of God and to confirm and to encourage and build the church that way. 
And the purpose of the apostolic is to keep pointing it outward and onward and forward. Because if you have only the vertical, you're going to get ingrown. And you're going to get preoccupied with self. And if you only have the outward and the forward, you're going to run out of energy because you can only do it in the flesh if you don't have the Holy Spirit. So there's a beautiful marriage between the two. Let me quickly go through a few scriptures about the apostolic gift real quickly, and then uh, we'll open it up. I think we need some help turning on the overhead. Hebrews 3.1 Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, consider that Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, consider Jesus. Can we say he was the first visionary? He was the pioneer who paved the way for the church. So he left home. He gave up what he had with a vision of what was not yet. And he came with that spirit of faith and sacrifice and willingness to suffer, to see something born and come into existence. And by the way, um, I'll just give you my personal view on this. Spiritual gifts in the, in the lives of people who are not yet saved are still operating. They just haven't gotten brought to Jesus yet. Have you ever met an evangelist who's not saved? He tries to sell you something. And they're good at it. You'll end up buying things sometimes that you don't want because you're with somebody who's an evangelist. And if you're around somebody who's pastoral, there's a mercy gift, and they want to gather and love and make everybody feel in unity and happy. And an apostle without Jesus is an entrepreneur. And I've met lots of them in society. But just God says, I want this gift to operate in this profession. But remember, all the gifts, no matter what vocation they're in, they're all for the purpose of building up the church in different ways. It just so happens that it happens in different spheres of life. Uh, apostleship is a calling. We got scriptures, yeah. Um, Romans 1.5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith amongst all the nations for his name. So that's the purpose of that gift. It's to bring around the obedience of faith amongst, can I say, the Gentiles, the nations, the lost. So really, if you marry the apostolic and the prophetic, you listen prophetically, but you think apostolically. So when Paul went out, he listened to the Spirit. The Spirit, he says in Acts, forbade me to go into Asia. He waited. He listened prophetically, and he heard and got a, received a vision to go into Philippi. So there was Paul on a mission, the apostle, going somewhere that the gospel has not yet gone with faith and a willingness to sacrifice and suffer for it and listening prophetically and God saying, turn left here. And the marriage of those two is dynamic and beautiful. Apostles are a gift to the church, Ephesians 4.1. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors. 
Apostles lay foundations for churches to build on. And by the way, um, there's only one church and there's many expressions of church. Whatever we call it, God's will is for the church to build communities that mature people, raise up those people, and send them out so that they can also win more people to Jesus, start more communities of faith that mature people and send more people out. So it's, there's a sending, pioneering, building, sending, pioneering, building from community of faith to community of faith. And the link is that apostolic gift and that prophetic gift, if that makes sense to you. Uh, God uses apostles to give direction, revelation, and vision to the church, Ephesians 3.5, which in other ages was not made known to his sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Spiritual children are the seal of apostleship, 1 Corinthians 9.2. And I'm, I'll make a comment here. Um, you know, coming to Africa, I met a lot of people with uh, big titles. But a business card with a title is not the confirmation of your ministry. I actually come from a nation now that's enamored, the United States, with titles. People are really trying to figure out who's the apostle and who's the prophet and so on. Titles don't confirm your ministry. And the fruit of apostleship that confirms that ministry is people who come to faith. 1 Corinthians 9.2 If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Writing to the Corinthians. Suffering and sacrifice is a part of the life of the apostle. Um, man, there's a lot of people in the Pentecostal charismatic world who don't want to suffer and sacrifice. They want the title, and they want the position, and they want the glory, but they don't want to lay down their lives. They may have the gift. I can't judge that about everybody, but boy, they may not be mature if they don't want to see the gospel advance through being willing to suffer and sacrifice for the gospel. Luke eleven forty nine. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. You don't see that verse in so many people's posters and business cards. 1 Corinthians 4.9 For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. You try to pioneer where the gospel has not yet gone. You get on that edge where you're believing God for that which is not. You're going to be in the most severe form of spiritual opposition you've ever experienced. Because what you're saying is, I'm going to take that which Satan now controls, and I'm going to win it back to Jesus. So there's going to be a major spiritual conflict between kingdoms. And there will be the warfare. And there's no more intense, pointed, focused warfare than to plant a church. Because you're claiming something for Jesus that belongs to Satan. Taking it back. Uh, there were apostles who were not with the first 12 apostles. I was taught originally there's only 12, and the gift died. Um, but this is what it says in Romans 16:7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Not amongst the 12. 
Um, and there's quite a few examples of that in Scripture. Apostles lead with vision and faith. That's the particular specific gift. Vision and faith for that which does not exist yet in the kingdom, for people to come to Christ and new communities of faith to be born. First um, Corinthians twelve twenty eight, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. There are also false apostles, those who claim to be apostles, and this true would be true of teachers and, and prophets as well, we, we're told in the, in the scriptures. Revelation 2.2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. First Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 11.13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 11.5 For I consider that I'm not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Can you hear the sarcasm and the bite in Paul's words? For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Okay, there's a few scriptures just to flesh out. So I'll make a couple more comments and I'll ask Joe to come up and we can open it up for questions. So if you have questions, you can be thinking about them. Uh, I've had the privilege of working with some awesome um, apostles and prophets. Um, I've been with prophetic teachers who the edge of their prophetic ministry is teaching. I've been with prophetic people who see the hearts of people. And I've been with immature prophetic people who see the hearts of people and mature people. A mature prophetic person will not embarrass people even though they might see what's going on. Because the goal of the gift is to build up and to heal and to mend, not to embarrass, nor to use that insight for personal gain, whether it's authority or money or position or control, whatever it might be, nor to sensationalize the gift. Um, been with some very mature apostles, I'm sorry, prophets who love to build the local church and have that ability to come beside and see the church and see local expressions of the church. One of those guys was a guy named Ken Wright who traveled many, for many years in Youth with a Mission when I was a part of Wyoming. An awesome prophetic man. And he loved to build local church. Through the grid of those mature people, now I test the, the spirit of the prophetic gift. <laughs> if it's sensationalized and it's a big storm and a big noise, my antenna goes right up. I'm like, okay, why do we have all this noise and sound? Why is this not about building and strengthening and gathering? If it runs against the grain of a local community and the leaders in that community, my radar immediately goes up. Um, if it's not submitted to local church, either a part of a local church community or building a church community, whatever you may call it, then that lack of being a part of a body of people and accountable causes my radar to go on red alert. I said to a prophetic person uh, in Kansas City, uh, when you're traveling, who are you accountable to? And when you're home, who are you accountable to? Do you mind just talking to me about that accountability part in your life? I wasn't really impressed at all with the answer. And so I said, you know what I would love for you 
this person, as a lady, said, this is my church, and I was the pastor in the church. I said, you know, I would really love you to be a part of a small group and just sit with your feet up to the fire like all the rest of us and just tell people your struggles and what life is like for you and be a part of life with people. She said, I can't do that. I'm so drained by the ministry, I, I just can't do that. I thought, you have a problem. And it's not called being drained. <laughs> there was a pride there. There was a stubbornness, an independence, a lack of accountability. So those things are very precious. Um, when somebody, and Joe's really spoken very clearly to this, but let me emphasize it, when a prophetic person overstresses the prophetic to try and make sure it happens, my spiritual radar goes up. Uh, a spiritual prophet in my life was a lady who's now way up in years. She must be close to 90, 89 or 90, 92. Very, very prophetic. God used her in the initiation of the charismatic renewal in the Anglican church in the early days in England. Uh, a very sweet lady named Jean Darnell. And very, very clear hearing of the voice of God and, and reading people's lives and mail. Just lovely, lovely gift. And uh, she was ministering to a group of people one night and just speaking so beautifully from the Lord. And she prophesied to one couple, and uh, you could see they were uncomfortable. And she stepped back and she said, um, is this, does this not feel good to you? And they said, we just, it doesn't bear witness with it. Oh, she said, you know, sometimes I'm just like way off. Just don't pay attention to it if it's not the Lord and just bear witness. And she giggled and she went on. That humility, that at ease. And later the couple, just it was a small group of us, 15 of us, and the couple asked, what do we do? Because we respect you. And she said, you know, if it's the Lord, it will come back and it will grow and it will be confirmed. Just put it on the back burner. And if it's God, the Lord will turn up the heat and make it warm and hot in your life. So don't worry, because I'm not perfect. Now, that kind of humility and security is a beautiful kind of thing. It makes you trust, and then you don't feel pressured. So those are kind of some of the things I really look for. I look for prophets who love to build with the existing work. It's one of the reasons why I've said I love Joe so much. He, he pushes us, but never to the point of manipulation, to encourage and strengthen and confirm, and then trust the Holy Spirit. And that's a beautiful thing. Because... Um, the most important person in hearing God is you and the Holy Spirit. You, you have a priesthood, and you don't want anybody to get between you and the Lord. So one of the little things, and I'll make this the last one, and Joe, if you come and join me, is uh, there's revelation that God often gives to prophetic people, and then there's a place for interpretation as to what that means, and then there's the time for application. What I appreciate about those who are prophetic is they are secure to hear the revelation, but don't feel pressure to give you interpretation. They give you room to work that out between you and the Lord. And certainly don't go into application. Because, you know, God can speak in metaphors and parables that can be vague to everybody else, but to one person that can jump right to them and speak. Uh, just like God's been speaking to them through that same picture or that same parable or phrase. And by giving people room and space, God starts massaging that into their hearts. 
And it gives them that freedom to respond. So those are just a couple things that I've come to really appreciate uh, about working together with prophetic people. So Joe, why don't you come up and uh, we'd like to open it up. If you have any other comments, Joe, before we do that, it'd be great. But uh, okay. Would you like a stool? No, great. Thank you. Okay, why don't you fire away if you have questions or comments and uh, you can direct your question. What do I f- the question is, what's my opinion on schools of the prophetic because they're jumping up all, all over the place? Well, if they're a good one, fine. Because sometimes um, um, people who are prophetic find it hard to find their place in the church. And so sometimes it's far better to have them schooled in it. You know, I always say this when I do a, a prophetic school is that if you're prophetic, God's out to kill you. Because you're no use as a prophet unless you're dead. That's what it says, it says in Galatians. Ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. And he's, so he's out to murder you as a prophet. And uh, once he's got you dead, 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 then he can use you. And then you're safe to be used. And so he takes you through that death so that um, it's not all about you but it's all about God. And yeah, some of these prophetic schools are great, but um, it's far better to check out the foundation of them. And, um, you know, if it's a ministry that's totally separated from the local church, I find that difficult personally. But because um, if people then rail at the church rather than encourage the church and that's what brings a difficulty. They cut across local pastors and they don't understand submission to authority because that's one of the keys to any prophetic voice being submitted to authority. Well, the thin line is love. Yeah, um, we see. What's the question again? So, I'm sorry. I'm already. I was already on the answer, but. Yeah, yeah. When is it wrong to confront and you know cut across? Because Paul cut across, and we saw it in the Old Testament where there would be a, a cutting across things. Um, well, a, prof, a, prof, a prophet's only really allowed to do that when he's called in to do that. Um, and Paul had a, a relationship with the churches that he worked with, and he inevitably sent Paul uh, Silas or someone like that with the letter. 
and with many other words they encouraged the church. And I'm pretty sure some of the advice he was giving them did cut across. But he was seeking to bring them into line with the word of God. But it was always done in love. And, you know, that, you know, we, 1 Corinthians 14, for instance, as he was teaching them on spiritual gifts, you know, pursue love and desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And as I keep saying to people, the chapter 13, the love chapter, wasn't put in the Bible for us to read at weddings. It was put in there in the context of the spiritual gifts. And I usually say to people in its simplest form is that Paul went into chapter 12, took out prophecy, dipped it into chapter 13, chapter 13 and stuck them both together in chapter 14. For to get the context of it and the love of God and aspect of bringing prophetic correction into and you know we're talking really about New Testament. It was John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets, and then there was a new dispensation that Jesus Himself modelled, as as Floyd has said. Do you want to answer a question? <laughs> I'll let Joe take the gloom and doom prophet, California prophecy. No, that's what I want you to take. No, no. I'm born in California, so what can I say? Um, I'm not, uh, my primary gifting and motivation is not prophetic, and I have to stretch myself. So I, I bring in people who are prophetic in order to stir the prophetic gift within the church. So gift releases gift. Kind releases kind. So the prophetic gift stirs up the prophetic gift. So as Joe's been ministering to us, and I've invited him because I trust him and I have relationship and we've worked together for many years. And it's not that he's a yes man. He'll tell me things that he feels off about. I, I mean, one of the procedures we go through is we'll debrief and I'll say, what have you sensed? What is God saying? What do I need to watch out for? What do we need to watch out for in our church? What is God saying to you? Uh, so having people who are prophetic that you trust before the church and then teaching the principles of how the prophetic works in the church so you're giving healthy boundaries. Not, can I call it reactive guidelines, but proactive guidelines. Not waiting till there's a prophetic crisis and then saying we don't want those people, but actually being very pro proactive and in welcoming and inviting, but teaching how it works. If somebody's way out of line, you reach out to them and try and bring them in with instruction and caution but encouragement and give them some steps to follow. So when people have a word for the whole church, I ask them not to give it to the whole church but to bring it to the leaders because who has the responsibility to walk it through but the elders and the leaders and the pastor. So that gets submitted. If it's a personal word that is directive, then we're cautious about that. We wouldn't let an immature 
prophetic give give any kind of thing that's about directive, what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. God can speak that way. There's examples of that. But we would want that to be through a very mature gift of somebody who's seasoned and walked and has a, a pastoral heart and love and wisdom and how they would encourage people. And, they can, and that kind of gift will always just say, you test it, you let this be a confirmation, etc. So proactive, modeling, and instructing, and then giving a process for what people do. Those four steps are really important. If somebody has a word, we say, bring it to the leaders. Submit it to us. Let us talk with you and pray with you about it. And we'll process, we'll meditate on it, we'll see how it works in our heart, and just be patient. Now, one of the gifts that a prophetic person is, is there's a sense of urgency and immediacy. Who needs prophetic ministry that doesn't bring that? But so you, you, if it is got a sense of emergency and immediacy, that doesn't mean it's wrong, even if the person pushes you in an unhealthy way. But we just have to walk them through how to do that in a respectful, submissive, accountable manner. So, yeah, those are three or four or five principles I would go by. So if you've got prophetic people in your church and you want to make room for them, what we do every Sunday is we have a, a prophetic time. And during the meeting, we have people come, they come to me, or if I'm not there, to Yvonne or whoever's leading the meeting, and they'll say what their prophetic word is to me first. And I'll decide if I'm going to ask them to come and give it publicly, if there's an encouragement there um, in it. And, um, and that's important for them to do. Nobody gets to call out just when they like they all have to come because there needs to be that discipline within it. And um, some people would come and say, well, I've got this prophetic word in the scripture and I've got to read it now. I said, no, you haven't. You'll read it when you're told to read it. In love, of course. And, um, and, and so we, we, because if it's a prophetic word, it can wait until that point in the service. Then we have a prophetic time where we open it up and we listen to all the prophetic words and then we'll say, right, who can respond to some of this? And we'll ask and say, right, at the end of the meeting, after the word is preached, then if you would like to come forward, some of these people will be here to pray for you. And that way we've made room for the prophetic to grow in the church. And we're able to hear what God is, is saying. And also, we would teach these people, like we've got to a place last Sunday there was four or five prophetic words and everybody wanted to preach the word <laughs> out of what they had prophetically. So I'm having to pull in quite mature people. I'm going to pull them in when I get home and say to them, hey, I don't want you to preach. I want you to give the essence of what you sense God is saying to you prophetically. Because then it's, it means, you know, Mrs. So-and-so is thinking our roast will be you know, burn by the time she gets home. Um, so, so that's how we would, we would allow it to work within the local body. And again, we would, keep, you know, we would seek to train them and, and to, to counsel them through. And, of course, the one thing they need to do is to understand that it's all done under submission to a local leader. If they can't submit, they don't get to talk at all. We just don't allow it. California, here I come. I'm not frightened to go to California. There's actually people praying um, against that very thing that was said. 
and uh, we I just don't believe I mean it's not impossible to get a you know it's not very difficult to get a, a, a prophetic word that California is going to have another earthquake because it probably will because of fault lines all that stuff but to say that California is going to be destroyed I actually have a word from God and, and an experience I had with him a few years ago that he's actually going to wash L.A. And, and, and San Francisco. We're going to see quite a move of God in that area. So I'm believing that part. So um, I'm not so much into the doom and gloom type prophecy. Um, you know, it, it, when, it, in the New Testament, you know, um, we see in the Old Testament, like you've said, there's judges and there's, the, you know, there's ju lots of judgment in the prophecy. But in the New Testament, Jesus never brought judgment type prophecies. He, he spoke to the religious leaders in a very strong way, but he never brought judgment. And, and any prophetic word that's given in the, in the New Testament, it's not, you know, to every one of the churches in Revelation, he spoke encouragement to them as well as pointing out the things that were wrong. And it came through the prophet John. John, one of the apostles who prophesied. And, um, you know, so people want to talk judgment. But listen, for you and me, it's different from the Old Testament. Judgment is to come. We know there's judgment to come. And he's the judge. We're told to judge no one in the Scriptures. But Paul says, he said, you've got to operate in the gift through love. Now, any prophet, prophet, you see, there's the distinguished, you've got to distinguish between the, the gift of prophecy and being a prophet. Because someone prophesies, we can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. says that in 1 Corinthians 14. But that doesn't make you a prophet. And every prophet starts in the 1 Corinthians 14 gift, or, or the 1 Corinthians 12 uh, gift of the Holy Spirit. But then if there's a motivational gift within them, according to Romans 12, then there's every likelihood that that person is going to become a prophetic ministry or a prophet. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean to say that everyone who prophesies is a prophet. But sometimes, I remember being with Floyd and speaking to a prophet in Kansas City. And I went to this prophetic meeting. He told me to go to this meeting of the prophets. I was scared. I mean, these guys could read your mail and stuff. And I went into the, I went into the room and there was only five people. And I said to this guy, I said, where's all the prophets? He said, oh, he said, all the prophetic people went down the road to that other ministry because they wanted to take the easy track to ministry because what they wanted was their name on a piece of paper rather than come up the way of character building and growth in that way. And so that's what we need to see. So the judgment prophecy, well, they're pretty easy to give. But then they're not so easy to substantiate in the end of the day. You know, and I have to say that when the levees and, and fell and a lot of other things happened in America by way of disaster, there was always people, the prophecies I heard were always after the event. Why couldn't you have told me that before? So many people died, we could have evacuated them. Different from Reese Howells, the intercessor. You know, that he, who called in the fog um, um, during the Second World War that saved so many people out of, you know, 
He, they had a sense that the Germans were about to do something at Dunkirk. They called in a fog that saved so many thousand people in the midst of that. That's totally different. If you read the old Scottish prophets, how, um, um, what was his name again? No, the, uh, John Knox and what was the guy that was martyred again? Wishart, George Wishart. And Wishart and, and, and John Knox, John Knox, who was a very prophetic man, they were in Edinburgh together. And Knox said to Wishart, he said, let us both go to St. Andrews. And Wishart turned around to him and said, it is enough for one of us to die today. And Wishart went to his death. I mean, amazing stories. But uh, read a book called The Scots Worthies, the first reading of it. Because what the Presbyterians did, they took all the references to the power of God out of it and re-released it. But read the first uh, one. It's very, very good. You had a question, sir? Well, do you want to give him the whole thing? Don't give it to him then. There's a word. Of, there's a words of a song that comes. I'll do it my way. I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> So the question is, uh, what do you do if you've released a false prophet and you only discover afterwards? I would say don't release anybody without relationship that you know and you walk with. Ministry flows out of relationship. If somebody came to me and said, hey, we have a word and we want to speak to the whole group, and I didn't know the person, I'd say, sorry, I want to build a friendship with you. Let's hang out. I want to test the spirit. I want to get to know the character. I want to know who they're accountable to, what faith community are they a part of that they're submitted to I want to know I want to know their weaknesses I want them to talk honestly before I'm going to put them in front of people as a leader I've got a responsibility about who I release and what spirit's going to be released through them and you don't and I'll tell you what you do if it if it ever did happen you have a responsibility to stop it and I've done that with a major international prophet I stopped him once it was hard but what he said he was going to do, he didn't do. And I made a mistake in several directions, but I said, no, let's stop this. And it's uncomfortable, but there has to be order in the church. You know, you'll never grieve the Holy Spirit in a meeting if you feel uncomfortable with something. And you just say, hey, time out. Let's wait. Let's don't do that. Because Holy Spirit's not grieved if your heart's not comfortable. He, he respects this. 
especially if we have the leadership responsibility. He's not going to go away. He wants to grow us. He wants us to learn. So if you just say, you know, time out, I don't feel comfortable. Let's, would you please mind talking with me about this first? The Lord will actually be glorified by that. You're not going to grieve the Holy Spirit. So if they're sensational, weird, and they're not submitted, and they don't want to build relationship, I'd call it a red card, not a yellow card. Comment on that too. The, uh, uh, this wasn't a false prophet, but uh, a friend of mine, a guy that I'd known through a f- for a good few years, he called me up. He said, "We're just passing through the northeast of Scotland, going to the west coast, and I've got this friend with me, a very prophetic lady, and um, and I've known her for a while, and and um, I was wondering if I could bring her to your church." And he's just he's just a friend of mine, you know. And I said, "Yeah, yeah, okay, then she can come." And and so I didn't have time to question her before she spoke. And she spoke very, very well. The prophetic words were right on. She seemed very, very clear. And then she stayed in our house that night, and I'm talking to her over the breakfast table. And my first question is, so which, which, which local church are you part of in that city that you come from? Oh, I'm not part of a local church but I'm part of this ministry. I said, lady, you get part, become part of a local church or you never speak in this church again. She's come to the northeast of Scotland and she's never spoken in our church again because I'm not interested. Because if someone's not based in the local church, they don't have the feel or the heart for the church. And there's more chance of getting a false prophet that's, that's not based in a local church than there is always ask a prophet this what's your thoughts on the local church and local church leadership then you'll know you'll be able to differentiate because of that now I have to say not every ministry no prophets prophets that are not in the local not everyone is bad I'm not saying they're bad but it's just where I'm at because I've seen the damage that happens if people have not got a feel for the local church. And that's what Jesus is coming back for. Okay, more questions? Andre, yeah. So if you, if you know somebody who's clinging on to a prophecy given in error, a false prophecy... Well, the person responsible is the person who's given the word. So the first thing you do, you would go to the prophetic person and you would say to them, hey, I don't agree with that word that you've given to one of the members of my congregation. I take it you're a pastor. No? Yeah. Well, you're caring for people. You're, you're obviously caring for people. And so I would go to the prophetic person and say, you need to come back and release that person from that word because what you have given to them, I know it's wrong. Now, they're, they're stuck on that word and we need to get it out of their lives. And it's through counsel and the help of that. You know, if, you, if they're a, a prophetic, like Jean Darnall did, 
if they are, have any integrity in the prophetic anointing, they will willingly come back and submit to you and have that word lifted off the person. If you don't feel comfortable with them coming back, then you can do that personally as well. Whatever is a vow that has been vowed, in the Old Testament we're told we can cancel the vow as spiritual leaders and the heads of families. And sometimes people take something and they're vowing, they're, they're saying that has to happen, I'm going to give my life to this. And I think it's okay, to, not, not in a controlling, domineering, manipulative way, but as people with pastoral hearts and shepherds, we can say, you know, that doesn't bear witness with me, and I want to lift that off of you. First in the place of intercession, but then in talking to the person, just to ask them to open their heart to let it go. Great question. Can I say? Can I summarize that question before you keep going? Then, then you can keep going. So the question is, how do we create an atmosphere where we can encourage people to grow, who may not uh, be mature, but they can they can have an, a, a place to exercise the gift and learn to hear God in a, in a sense of practicing the prophetic. That, is, that, is that the heart of the question? And they're not a prophet, and they may not ever have a prophetic ministry, but we want them to learn to hear God. Can I just respond to that one? Then you keep going. Uh, when I was getting motivated to go in the prophetic and grow in the prophetic, a very wise spiritual mom and dad said to me, if you want to encourage people and you feel you have something in your heart and you miss God, you haven't done any harm if you're trying to encourage. I thought, wow, that's so helpful. So if it's all about encouraging and no dates or mates, <laughs> this is what I call it. don't prophesy dates or mates just and warnings and correction. Just want to speak correction, I mean encouragement. So here, here's how I would define it. Capturing a little bit of God's heart to encourage another person. That's the gift of prophecy, speaking through the whole church. We're just trying to capture a little bit of God's heart to build up and encourage. Then if we miss something, hey, it's not a big deal. And we can keep growing because we're creating an atmosphere where we can build each other up. And in that sense, that's the best place for a person to hear God and encourage. So that would be my response to that, Jeff.
Well, I haven't heard too much about that personally, but I know for myself, in answer to your first part, that um, I, I, my prophetic anointing was released to me in Youth of Mission 1979. Back then, we used to meet in flock groups, and we would practice it in flock groups. There's this new thing that, you know, the, that the rest of it stemmed from in treasure hunting. Well, we treasure hunted in Barcelona back in 1979. You know, it's not a new concept, but it's being maybe sold somewhere, some places as a new concept. But um, Ananias treasure hunted and found the Apostle Paul. Cornelius, who was a non-believer, treasure hunted and found Peter. And um, so it's not new. And, um, and that's what we need to see. We need to keep it in a biblical context for sending people out. And of course, when we're teaching people how to prophesy, we, we do it in a, an environment where they're with two or three other people. And if anything was said out of order, it would be picked up in the midst of their training and, and helping them to understand. I encourage people in evangelism to hear God for people who don't know Jesus. Um, the way I like to encourage people to do it, this is personal, is to believe that God's going to put a little bit of his heart in your heart for another person that kind of taps into something of their destiny and calling in God. That's affirming. That's calling out what's inside of them. So I, I love to try to do that. Now, if you're affirming and encouraging and you don't say, thus saith the Lord, leave, leave God out of it. <laughs> so just, yeah, if you're going to make a mistake, you take that and don't let the, you know, God take it. And if you so leave God's name out. Don't get a warble in your voice like a spiritual kind of thing. Just say, you know what? I, I just see in you this. I think you're just like the most, you know, Sam, I just see how you really love nature and you just love care for the environment. Now, I know that's Sam, so that's pretty easy to prophesy that. But let's say, you know, I just, man, I just sense that's something that's about you. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Translation, I feel this from the Lord. Do you bear witness? <laughs> but you don't have to use any of that spiritual language to be connect with people's hearts. And again, if we're affirming and encouraging, we're trying to capture God's heart to build them up and to call out what God's put in them. You know what? We're going to grow. God loves to find people who want to reach out to non-believers and speak hope and life into their heart. Something's going to grow in us. God's going to say, wow, I can trust him. He loves to encourage people. I was with, uh, I was with Matt the other night, you know, in common experience. We prayed with a waitress and God gave us a little bit of his heart for her, but we didn't say, thus saith the Lord. We just spoke into her heart and affirmed her and called her out. And what I mean by calling out is saying, hey, this is something that's beautiful in you. So I, I'd like to see it done in that sense. Now, God may be very specific. Uh, he may say, look for a guy with a red hat. And maybe you find one and maybe you don't, but don't put God's reputation at stake on our trying to learn. 
what I'd say. If you see the guy with the red hat and you meet him and you talk and it goes well, then praise God. You heard from God. If it doesn't, you're still learning. <laughs> and that's cool. That's how we all learn. We take chances. We take steps. And one other way is that, you know, if you've got young people or you've got someone who's maybe overconfident in the whole thing, you know, I like to say to people, how are you feeling if before you go do this? Oh, I'm really scared. That's fine. I said, you're the exact person we need to do it. Because there's a area of caution within their hearts. You know, there's the story about the lady who got up in church one day and says, Thus says the Lord, fear thou not, even though I'm a terrified myself. Maybe I can make a statement. I'll just repeat the question. And I want Joe to answer. But the question is, um, if you have new believers in your congregation and you sense that the Lord wants to use them in this way, how do you identify with that with them and how do you encourage them to grow in it? Uh, by the way, just to say in that line, uh, Stephen Derrier here tonight that work in Polsmore. And there's a lady in Polsmore, uh, I won't say her name, who was a practicing Sangoma. But there was a real prophetic gift, it seemed, in her life. It seemed that way in December. I wonder if it still seems that way. <laughs> She's brand new, so I'm looking at Daria to give me any confirmation here. And Daria um, discipled her. Now, you can be, as, as I said, a non-believer and have something that God's in your, given you in your life, but it's just not, it's maybe it's even being captured by the enemy. So uh, just calling people back, hey, you know, God's put something. I would be careful to not use religious terminology. God has put something in you where he wants to use you to encourage other people. And, you know, if you've had a lot of dreams, then let's sort out and kind of give them some structure of what's, how the demonic can work. Hey, you know, the, did you know, you, do you know about demons, what demons are? They're fallen angels who lie. And demons can give dreams. So we have to be, we figure out what's a demon and what's me and what's the Holy Spirit and help them discern spirits and kind of start teaching them and see if your sense of what God has said is actually accurate. Because if it's there, something starts stirring in their heart because it's inside their spirit. So you don't want to pronounce this is what you have. You just want to lay the groundwork and start discipling them toward what you sense. Amen. Well, um, the word uh, encourages us all to prophesy, but then it says that the Spirit gives as He wishes. So, lady would like to just us to unpack that a little bit. So, yeah, we can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Um, there's a guy called Sam Storm. He's a Presbyterian minister in Oklahoma City. Great man of God. Wrote a great book on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
and he says it's our, it, it, that, that we're disobeying God if we're not seeking after spiritual gifts, particularly prophecy, as it says in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Now, the context of that, that what you're saying, is all in that scripture in 1 Corinthians 14. And it starts in verse 3, that prophecy is encouragement, exhortation, and comfort to men. Now, that's what prophecy is, encouragement, exhortation, and comfort to men, particularly speaking of the gift of prophecy. Okay? Now, what further down it says, we can all prophesy, so we can all encourage, exhort, and comfort one another. So we can all do it. Now, the Spirit gives as He will. So if you go in to pick and pay tomorrow, and the Lord draws you to a lady who's doing her shopping, and she looks pretty sad, you may have a word of encouragement for her. Because we can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. I remember my first experience of that was in Youth with a Mission, 50 people in the room. And the guy said, okay, we'll start with the first person in the front row, and we'll go across the rows, and we'll all prophesy. And we all did. We just don't all practice it. It says in the Old Testament in, in Numbers, it says that... Um, that God took part, some of the spirit that was on Moses and he put it on the 70 elders and they all prophesied. And the end of the verse goes like this, but they did not continue doing it. And that's the problem. That's why the church becomes a place of discouragement and not encouragement. There's nothing like a bit of encouragement. And who knows, the church needs some encouragement in these days. You know, in every staff meeting in our church, we take time uh, to prophesy. Now, we don't always call prophecy, but what we say is, is there something on your heart? Do you hear something from the Lord? Do you have a scripture? So, you know, um, I think if we say it in prophetic language, it kind of scares people off. But if we just say, is there an impression? Is there something on your heart? Do you, have a, do you want to read a scripture? Do you have a picture in your mind? Maybe it'll be an encouragement to somebody. Try to make it a low threshold of ease and practice. And, uh, and doing it in a small group is a great way to learn. And I think sometimes we have to prompt a little bit. Hey, let's just, let's just encourage each other. What is it that God will put in your heart for somebody here? Okay, you know what we're going to do? You know, I've done this sometimes. Uh, just did it a few weeks ago. I just said, turn to the person on your left and right and just believe you're going to have a prayer and that prayer is going to really encourage somebody and God's going to give you something to pray. You know what? Everybody did it. And I'm guessing a lot of people were prophesying, but because I just said pray, encouragement, it gave an ease of access. Now, we can give language to that to build them up, but practice is just, again, capturing a little bit of God's heart to encourage, to build up, to comfort. can come in a scripture. can come in a prayer. It uh, can come in many ways. I think God's people hear God a lot more than we give it credit for. And if we're just all about encouraging and, and building people up, hey, it's happening all the time. My wife writes notes. That's her like big thing. She writes notes. And she's always asking God, who can I write a note to encourage somebody? That's to me is prophecy. Yes.
You know, I've got, I've got to just answer this a little bit, and then maybe Joe can answer too. But I, I've got passion in my heart right now. God has put this in my heart for the last year or two, that people in the marketplace are God's primary way of reaching people who are not in the church. And therefore, God is going to put within the people in the marketplace who are the church the gifts of God. Now, find ways to do that. You know, stopping by someone at the desk and hey, saying, you know, I just watched how you reacted the other day to that person when you were under a lot of pressure. I just appreciated that. Thank you so much. It was, and it was really gracious and patient. I just appreciate you. That's prophecy. When you're hearing God, when you're walking around praying, when you're saying, Lord, you're driving to work, would you give me something today to encourage, build up, comfort people? That's, and when that starts happening and you get, start getting things, that's God speaking. Now, I, I've got a friend who leads a pretty good-sized company, middle-sized company here in South Africa. He structured it in. He called it Oasis. So we're going to meet on Friday mornings, and we're just going to tell story to each other, and we're just going to encourage each other and how we're doing. So tell stories. How's it going in your department? Hey, I saw you doing that the other day. And Hey, what can we do? Who needs some encouragement? So he got a spirit of encouragement called Oasis. Just let some water flow kind of thing. Now, as a believer... He was trying to create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit could be speaking life. And then what he did is he would go to believers and say, you know, oh, Mary over there was really down. And, you know, you've got a bit of a relationship. I, I'd like you to take her out for tea and just hear her story encourage you. So what is he doing? He's getting people to exercise their spiritual gifts in the marketplace. I, I'm, I'm just so passionate about it. I just believe we can do it. I know it's, it's a difficult world. I've got a friend who's a financial planner, big-time financial planner, does, you know, manages people's estates and so on. Uh, he gets guys in his office all the time who've got, you know, X a million of this, and he says, I'm going to help you plan. He just spends time with them. And then he says at the end of it, this is his line, hey, you know, we've, sp we've talked now about security for your life. I'd love to have lunch with you. I want to talk about a different kind of security. It's about... It's about your soul and your spirit. I really feel I have something to encourage you that's probably even more important than the other kind of security. I don't know if that'd be interesting to you. So he prays, and when they say yes, and he says 90% of the men say yes. And then he just speaks life to them, but he doesn't use any Jesus, thus saith the Lord. He's hearing God, and he's building a bridge, and when they start responding, then that's going to lead to more and more life and more light. It's in the marketplace. So he said to me one day, this is in Kansas City, he said, I hope it's okay, but like a lot of the guys have responded to me, so now I like have two different groups going on at lunchtime with guys who have responded. Is that okay? Do you approve this? No, not really, you know. Yeah, encouragement's the name of the game for your business to grow or whatever it is that God's calling you to do. You mean it's dark enough out there, it's hard enough in, in a job, but a spirit of encouragement is something if God as 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 you use that, then you know it says believe in the prophetic or the prophets and you will prosper. So encouragement is a way of bringing prosperity into the situation. Just you go and preach a few words and be down on your church in the next few weeks and see how many is left. But speak encouragement and watch your offerings go up. Okay. Yes, back here, my brother.
Yeah, absolutely. The question is, is it okay to use the gift for the unsaved? And um, the answer is yes. I would just not use religious terminology when you do it. I wouldn't say, thus saith the Lord. I wouldn't say, God told me. I, I do this with my neighbors all the time. I do this with people in restaurants and gas stations. I just say, Lord, give me something to encourage this person. And if I can get a little bit of God's heart for that person, I just try to figure out a way to say it that they actually feel encouraged by me. I, I like to say to the waiters and waitresses, even when they're not doing a good job, great job. Thank you very much for trying. Thank you for, you know, find something to say to build them up. Because you know how much curses are put on people and how much hopelessness there is and how much brokenness and pain. You, if you go to the same petrol station, you see the same guys, get to know their names, speak encouragement. We're prophesying. So absolutely. And then if that, you know, uh, one mentor of mine said one time, throw water on the ground and watch what grows. And if it's a weed, ignore it. Don't attack it. Don't worry about weeds. But if you see a little fruit, a little plant, flower there, you go for that. You cultivate that. You encourage that. So you speak life to somebody. You encourage them in the Holy Spirit. But, you know, you don't use churchy language. The next thing you know, you're just saying, hey, you know, uh, in your break time, uh, why don't I come by and we just spend a few minutes. I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and tell you about my story. My wife and I just appreciate the way you're always smiling when we come through here. Just whatever. Just taking note of people. That's prophecy. That's the Spirit of God speaking through our lives. A couple more. We're getting down to the wire here. Yes. Well, um, good question. Um, do you expect um, um, do you expect a prophet always to have a word for you? Would that be a way of describing it? And you get sometimes you can get addictive to the prophetic word and have an expectation that you're always going to get a word um, if you if you go to someone prophetic. Well, um, yeah, you know people will come to me and and they'll say to me. God said that you've got a word for my life. And I said, well, that's funny, because he's not told me that. But love says, let me pray for you anyway. And out of that place of the love of God, inevitably there will be something encouraging for the person. Because we were always to operate by love. I mean, I've heard other guys said, um, you know, oh, I think you got a word for me. Um, and they say, yeah, I have. Read your Bible, you know. And, you know, saying that to a young person, a young, you know, to anybody, it's not really going to be very helpful. And it can be addictive, but there could easily even be a need for another word. And it's not wrong to come and find out if there is a word. But then if you're holding that 
if it's one particular person and you're holding that person in a place where Jesus really needs to be and where maybe, uh, I'm not saying you do this, you're too lazy to find out from him himself, um, then um, because you hear, we all hear from God, every single one of us, and no prophetic utterance or person can take that away from you. That's what we call control that can lead to witchcraft. And there's enough of that in Africa without any more. Amen? And you know, uh, the, the healthiest environment for the prophetic to grow is an environment that puts a great emphasis on the Word, spending time with Jesus alone, and a life of spiritual discipline and prayer. That's the right environment. Because when people are in the Word, God can speak correction, encouragement, and feed them. When their focus is on a right relationship with Jesus, find their identity in Christ, that's the atmosphere. If that's missing, then prophetic can easily go astray because there's not the right foundation of scriptural dependence and feeding ourselves in the Word. So sometimes in a church, you might even want to step back a little bit from the prophetic and say, hey, come on, guys, let's step up to another level of being in the Word every day. You know, I want the person who doesn't read the Word but once or twice a week, I want them to grow to three times a week. I want to encourage them to believe that they're going to hear God five minutes a day three times a week. I want them to get so encouraged by God that they say, you know, I'm just going to like stick on my my uh, my iPad or whatever it is, my iPhone, my i whatever we call them nowadays, and I'm going to I'm going to listen to the scriptures. You can get free Bibles downloaded off the internet nowadays. If people are cultivating that interest. If I meet somebody who's struggling in that area, then I'm going to direct them toward I'm going to say to them, "Hey, let's have a quiet time together. Hey, let me give you a couple ideas. Let me encourage you." A week later, how are you doing? That's the foundation. In the Word, hearing God, focused on Jesus, a love relationship with the Father, that's the foundation we want to cultivate within that context. Okay, guys, we're almost at 9 o'clock. One more. Anybody burning with a question? Sweet. Thank you for coming tonight. Uh, we would love it if you would like to make a little contribution. If you want to drop five rand or ten rand, you can just come and sit it on the table here, help with some expenses, uh, give a contribution to Joe. So we'll use a little bit for the coffee and tea, and the rest we'll give as a love offering to him. If you want to do that, just a blessing. You're very welcome. Uh, yeah, we're just glad you can come. Uh, we'll let you know in the future if we do any more like this. Um, we do have a couple guys coming through in the next couple months that are really awesome guys. Uh, there's a brother coming from um, Papua uh, New Guinea by the name of Jim Yost. Uh, been going 34 years, seen amazing movements break through uh, in one tribal group, amazing breakthrough, 17 years, then moved to the coastal city. Now he's seen massive movements with Muslims. And uh, we'll, we'll send out a word if you want to come in here, Jim. We'll put on a night one night. Uh, a brother from um, uh, Liberia, from Sierra Leone, sorry who's seen some really wonderful things, real God, real godly content, real disciple maker. So we'll let you know about evenings or maybe a morning every once in a while if you want to come. Uh, if it fits and it blesses you, we want to just share and encourage you. And as uh, if you get people like that coming through, then let the rest of us know and we'll all grow together. One more question, Marley, or one more comment? Tonight. No practical tonight. Because we want people to be able to go to bed. <laughs>
Yeah, uh, Marley knows Joe. Joe just loves to get people practicing, encouraging over their initial fears. So we're not going to do any practical night, uh, but we'll let you go home and go to bed. Thank you. I know you've given your time. You've come. Some of you have driven quite a ways. Just thank you. Yeah, Joe, would you just say a prayer for us and bless us and, yep. and encourage us? Father, we just want to thank you. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And we want to thank you, Lord, that in apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we find the Savior in every single one of them, Lord. They're all a part of who you are. And Father God, we want to thank you for the multi-diversity that's within your body. And I just honor every part of the body that's here today, Lord, in Jesus' name. We seek to honor every leader, every pastor, every evangelist, Lord, every mission, leader of a mission. Father, whatever it is that people are involved in, every businessman here tonight, Lord, every entrepreneur, Lord, and Father, whatever it might be, we just release the power of your grace because your grace is sufficient for us, Lord, and your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so, Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you for the honor and the privilege of speaking to these people tonight, Lord. And, Father, I pray that you would bless each and every one in every ministry represented in this place in the mighty name of Jesus. Let me just say one thing that I believe that God's shown me about South Africa, that South Africans are, are a nation of leaders. There's a nation of leaders that were released just after apartheid finished, and they've been released into the nations, and they're doing things around the nations. I don't believe it was one generation. I believe there's another generation of them within your churches, and it's time now to harvest the next generation of leaders that you have within your churches at this time because they're going to have not only national impact, but they're going to have international impact in a different way from people. And it's not wrong that they left your country and stuff. Some are now coming back to receive all that they had spiritually before they left. And they're coming back for more feeding. So get ready for a mighty move of God and a releasing of a new generation of leaders. Amen. Good night. There's more tea or coffee. Help yourself.